0: This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 93. In tonight's show, 10 big findings about EdTech privacy, Microsoft is launching a $399 Surface Go, student data sharing, and the maker movement is inspiring the next generation of innovators. And our featured segment tonight is a free objective builder tool from the University of Central Florida, so stick around for that. No Christy tonight. Um, She's still on vacation, and I am on vacation next week, so we will start next week again after vacation, so in two weeks, and hopefully Christy will be back and we can be together again. I know the show's better with her, so I'm happy to have her back and excited about that, and uh, no live streaming today. I've been having some issues with the uh, computer trying to live stream, so I'm not sure all of the things that go into that and what's happening. So I'm just gonna record the show for a little while um, and put it up that way until I can get the live streaming thing figured out. So if you're watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, go ahead and comment or like it, and um, hopefully we'll try to make this content even better as we go forward. But let's get started, as we always do, with the rundown of the EdTech News of the Week. Our first story is a recently released research from commonsense.org. The three-year study on the state of edtech privacy represents three years of research on hundreds of edtech-related applications and services. They incorporated over 150 privacy and security-related questions that are expected to be addressed in each vendor's policies. You can download that full report from their website, and I'll put the link on edtechweeklyshow.com. Um and I'll put it in the comments as well if you're watching this on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, the overall result of this can be summed up sort of like this, no bueno, yeah, it's not good. Their findings indicate a significant lack of transparency and a lot of inconsistency when it comes to privacy and other security policies. One of the biggest of their 10 key findings from this study is that a major, a majority sorry, of these companies are either non-transparent or explicitly allowing the onward transfer of data. Yeah, I had to look that one up too. wasn't exactly sure what that meant. But basically what that means is if they're bought out or if they merge or if they go bankrupt, which we all know those three things happen frequently in the ed tech world. Um, the mix of personal and non-personal data can, collect, can be collected and transferred and then all bets are off as to how it's used once the new company or the new organization puts it together. Uh, EdTech decision makers, this is yet another thing to be mindful of when purchasing or using even free EdTech products. So check out the research and their 10 key findings when you have a chance. And this certainly is important information. Uh, the EdTech community needs to figure this one out because student data is its way too important and its you gotta explicitly protect it. We can't have these things where we're just not sure. All right, our next story. It's from investorplace.com, and we learned that Microsoft is continuing to make a run at Google and Apple in the education space. They're introducing the Surface Go tablet. The Surface Go features a 10 inch screen and weighs 1.5 pounds and it's equipped with an intel processor it comes in a 64 128 and 256 gigabyte versions uh, with either 4 gigabytes or 8 gigabytes of ram and some models will have lte connectivity so cell phone connectivity the price range is going to be from 399 to 549 fully equipped and they claim to have nine hours of battery life which should be perfect for the school day Um, and it should be arriving in early august the tablets also comes with a detachable keyboard, which is definitely gonna entice some of the some people to adopt that Surface Go, because I know Apple's doesn't come with a keyboard. And uh, I'm not sure about some of the Google tablets. I know most of the tablets they use now are probably the Chromebooks, which would have keyboards. Now this also probably is gonna be welcomed by IT staff at schools. I feel like many of them are comfortable working in the Microsoft framework. Um, the exciting part for me you know, about this is that I think we're finally getting to a point where these big three companies, Microsoft, Google, and Apple, they're really taking the education space seriously. Uh, and as our last story f- or story from last week about Microsoft purchasing Flipgrid and making it free to teachers, shows us, they're now perhaps again becoming a force in education. I think so, for sure. All right, let's get to our third story. It is about three common student data sharing points. Um, and problems and how they can be overcome. Now it's no surprise that data management is becoming a huge part of this show as we continue to struggle uh, with how to collect, manage, share and use the data that they're, they're collecting and finding out. Now the first issue with this story talks about unconsolidated data streams. So the problem here is that there is more data being collected and if it's not collected and saved in a similar fashion, then you have to write individual processes and code for each stream of data. So the solution is to consider using a file-sharing standard like CoSN and other organizations are creating. The second issue is that making data easier to share with teachers in other schools or districts means easier access for those who shouldn't be able to see that data. And there are some standards from vendors like IBM and McAfee that help the structure of data pathways. But as we mentioned last week, there better be a data recovery plan in place too. As we said last week, it's not a matter of when or if anymore, it's a matter of when you're going to get hacked and when you're going to lose data. The third issue is that students who change schools or districts may have data that is in completely different format. There needs to be a focus on systems being interoperable. So many things to consider when it comes to data and data systems. Be sure to have these conversations as you adopt these changes to your ed tech systems. Uh, It's really important to be talking about this stuff in your meetings about ed tech and everything else, because this security and the data and how it's being collected and how we're gonna use it, these are all conversations that need to be had. All right, in our final story, a Forbes article explains that the maker movement is inspiring the next generation of inventors. Now, according to the article, a lot of concern about technology causing greater disconnects in society isn't taking into account the way that technology is inspiring makers to make the world a better place. They cite how there's a growing interest in STEM, and even though only about 16% of high school seniors are proficient at STEM, almost 50% of Americans identify as being part of a maker community. There's definitely a growing market of cool maker toys and projects, and the hope is that this helps them build the sense of community and invention that can improve the human experience. And we've talked about that before as well. They mentioned a very cool company named Infento that offers kits to create multiple types of rides, bike ride-type things for kids, from tricycles to scooters, And I've recently had some experience with another thing they mentioned in Nintendo Labo for the Switch console. My son and I actually built a really cool little motorcycle controller out of cardboard just this past weekend. And I admit this stuff is pretty cool. I still think that maker shouldn't be synonymous with EdTech, or even tech for that matter. right? We were all makers when we played with Legos. Uh, And those are not really tech. I mean, yeah, tech was required to make them, but not what we would consider technology at this point. Obviously, I'm a huge EdTech fan. Uh, But we can't get too caught up in this. I think it's a tool. The EdTech is a tool just like Legos are a tool. And I don't think we can put so much into the technology aspect that we forget that even just basic maker tools like Legos are really awesome if there's projects around them. Um, The problem that I kind of have with a lot of these maker kits, including the Nintendo Labo, is that there's not a lot of options to make whatever you want. I know they're coming out with some things that allow you to do that, but There's no real roadmap for it. And it's not like you just, you know, I don't know, cutting cardboard out on its own without having a real plan. I don't know. I think Legos are pretty awesome and it's easy to make them into whatever. So I really like those as well. I don't think we should neglect those when we talk about makerspaces. I really need to get Ashley from Career and STEM back on. Hopefully you can come join us again soon, Ashley. um, Because I want to have a discussion about this. I really, I'd love to, you know, encourage my son and give him the right tools to be inspired to learn more about coding and and STEM. Um, and Because I know we have fun making the cardboard stuff and I'm just not sure the inspiration's there. So all right, well that's the end of that story. Um, Remember if you wanna email the show, uh, as many of you have, edtechweekly at gmail.com. That's how Christy became a part of the show. If you have something you'd like to contribute or just share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Follow me at 4techteachers and Christy at Christy M. Warren again. Um, All right. Well, let's get to our featured segment. Um, This one's really cool. And you know, if you're a teacher or an instructor of any kind, um, I think it's really important to have sound objectives. And a lot of times I know when I started teaching in the K-12 world, I wasn't really sure how objectives were connected or how I could connect them to other things. And so I think this is a really, really important thing. And there's a lot of Um, objective builders that you can find, some free, some not free, but I know University of Central Florida does some really cool stuff, especially with online education, so I thought I would feature their objective builder, and the link will be on the website as well. Um, Well, what is it? It's a way to write good objectives that are often written, that should be written from a student perspective, and it really helps you think through the steps of writing a proper and measurable objective. So just because you have a good objective that you think is good, if there's no way to tell if a student has actually achieved that objective and it's not measurable, then it's really not a very good objective. So I think that should be the first thing that we teach in teaching programs. And it might be, it's been a while and um, I was in transition to teaching. So I hope our teaching programs are taking this stuff seriously with writing objectives and understanding how to align them to everything else you do. So who or why would you use this? I think the foundation of good teaching learning is having objectives or outcomes that we want our students to achieve. We make sure our content, activities, assessment, all work together. It's a proven way to promote learning. It's it's proven from a research standpoint that this actually helps students learn better when all of these things are tied together. Um, when you're developing a course or even just a lesson, I think you should be considering that objective first. Like what are your students trying to get out of this? What do you want them to be able to do or produce at the end of this? So if you're not familiar, um, with some of those tools that tell you like if you want them to be able to remember or recite or to demonstrate or to discuss. Those are the type of things that we're talking about, the verbs for um, having the proper objectives. And uh, again, in that objective tool, you'll see those as well. So how? Well, there's a lot of tools out there, like I said, but this one's done by UCF. And you can easily just search UCF Objective Builder, and you should find it. But I'll also put that link at edtechweeklyshow.com. Um, and in the video descriptions. Um, And I'm gonna do a little short video showing how to use it, just like I did with the soapbox video. If you haven't seen that one yet, go ahead and check that out as well. Uh, I'll put a link up here probably in the um, face or the YouTube channel to that video as well so you can check it out. Um, Yeah, so all you really do is you, it's gonna ask you to provide students a condition. So then you enter who the audience is, um, and then many times this should be just a student, right? And then you select a behavior, which is essentially that action verb we were talking about before, which is going to be recite, explain, judge, create, one of those things. And then you can add a degree or level which your students will show how they achieved the objective, like you know, 50% or 75% uh, or whatever it might be for helping you know that they've attained what you need them to for that objective. And then you can just copy and paste that objective to whatever word processing program or any LMS that you have. And it's, you know, like I said, it really helps you just look at objective writing from the right perspective, I think, from a student perspective, from a measurable perspective. So definitely check it out. Um, and that's going to conclude the show for us. Remember, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, mostly we're getting some reviews in there and we're getting some good reviews. So do that. It helps people find us. And uh, just check out edtechweeklyshow.com for any links to the stories that you're interested in. And uh, that's about it. So we'll see you next time on Ed Tech Weekly.